I've never even talked to him before. My manager hired me, and I work on the assembly line. I'm not even sure he knows who I am. I don't even know what I would say to him even if I did get the chance to talk to him. He is all business, and I, 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 just, I just try to stay clear of him. I love my job, and I, I, I just want to keep doing what I do. I better go now. Welcome to the podcast, Brinkley. I am your host, Bob O'Hare. M. Brinkley was etched in gold letters on the grand door of the large third floor corner office. Everyone thought the M stood for Mr., But the state records for the registration of the Staten Company's corporate charter specify the name Marvin Brinkley. Known as Mr. Brinkley by all, he was the founder and mastermind behind the Staten Company. Standing over six feet tall and never seen without his brown bowler hat, not unlike the hat worn by Charlie Chaplin, his firm stature was intimidating to most. He had a presence about him best described as he meant business. Many employees said they could tell when Mr. Brinkley entered a room or office even if they couldn't see him because they could more or less sense his presence. He was feared, liked, and considered an entrepreneurial genius all at the same time. Many economists say his success stemmed from his ability to realize that kids are influential in buying decisions and that he was able to execute several successful marketing strategies directly aimed at children. Combining all that with his brilliant product design and futuristic production capabilities launched him into a category of businessmen very few ever attain. Upon graduating summa cum laude from Northwestern University, Brinkley worked for four years as a product designer for a small Chicago-based custom furniture manufacturer. Odd to say the least for a man like him, but as he once stated in passing, we all had to start somewhere. Becoming frustrated with management and feeling as if he was not being used to his full potential, Brinkley decided to leave the Windy City, as it's known, and pursue a lifelong dream, running his own company. 7502 Euclid Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio, was the site of a large vacant building which once was the home of a local candy store's distribution warehouse in the 1970s. Besides its cheap rent, 7502 provided all the production space, loading docks, and close access to local suppliers that a toy manufacturer could need. It was at this location that Brinkley combined his love of product design, entrepreneurial spirit, and excitement of childhood toys to launch the Staten Company on July 23, 1997. Entering a market with steep startup costs and fierce competition such as Mattel, 
who owned brands like Barbie, Hot Wheels, and Fisher-Price, or the company Jack Specific, who owned Cabbage Patch Kids. Brinkley knew he had to be creative and find a niche in the toy industry. His ambitions to have a toy that he created himself on store shelves of the local Kmart and Toys R Us began during his young career in Chicago. While working as a product designer, Brinkley spent many hours in his small apartment office working on his own design and invention. He began drawing up plans of a toy that he hoped one day would revolutionize the toy industry and find its way into households worldwide, bringing happiness to many young children. It's hard to believe that such a popular children's toy was developed in a small downtown 600 square foot studio apartment by a 29 year old furniture designer. I guess the best success stories all have some type of ironic beginning to them. By the Christmas of 97, production was in full swing at the Staten Company, who employed just over 150 passionate and hardworking employees. Brinkley appeared to be doing something right. It wasn't long in Cleveland before conversations amongst the town often centered around the young business tycoon Brinkley and his toy company. Let's take a look now at part of a letter I received a few years back. I remember it was sometime in the spring of 98. The Staten Company hadn't been open even a year yet at that point. I remember while eating at a restaurant called the Flatiron Cafe, which was over in the popular area known as the Flats, I overheard a conversation from two men sitting in the booth behind me. I don't know who they were, but from their appearance and manners, I gathered that they were pretty important people, whoever they were. They mentioned the Staten Company, so I started eavesdropping because I was hoping to start an internship with them during that summer. The gist of what their conversation entailed was how the whole town of Cleveland expected Brinkley and his silly toy manufacturing venture to fail within the first eight months. But that somehow, not only was the Staten Company still in business, but that they were still in business and becoming noticed in the industry rather quickly. That was when I knew I was going to do whatever I could to get the internship there that summer so I could be a part of such an enthralling company. The bottom of the letter was signed, Eric L. Stingley. Now we will come back to the rest of this letter in a later episode, but nonetheless, the Staten Company was beginning to make some noise. So you may be wondering, what do I have to do with this toy company, and how did I get involved? I began covering the captivating story of the Staten Company in early 2007. At that time, I was just hired on as a junior reporter here at WJR 47 Studios and was given a small column, or more like a paragraph, on the last page of our monthly newsletter to the local community. 
I was young and ambitious, and willing to take whatever I was given. So I was allowed to report on anything I would like to. But just whatever I decided on, it had to be interesting and appealing to readers. As I began looking for a story to cover for my second newsletter, I stumbled across a unique toy that caught my eye while shopping for a birthday gift for my niece's second birthday. It wasn't until after about three hours of my niece playing only with this toy in an obsessive manner and her completely ignoring all her other new birthday gifts, did I become intrigued about it. Needless to say, that following Monday at the office, I began researching this toy, and we began to dig up rather captivating information on the toy's development, an unforeseen takeover of the doll industry in a matter of a few years. Little did I know at that time that I was about to embark on a journey that would unfold one of the most enthralling and yet enigmatic stories of the corporate world in modern times. So what is this toy that we have been talking about, and why is it so special? Well, tune in next time for episode two of Brinkley, where we discuss the Juniper Doll.